0: I am not one to take lessons from the Bible but there is part of one sentence in the gospel of John which has never let me go in the beginning was the word this idea that the world as we know it originated with language this idea makes sense to me logic and intuition often are opposed to each other but I find the statement in the beginning was the word intuitively logical the reason is simple. There is a world without us. If a tree falls down in the forest and there is no one to hear it, it still makes a sound. But there is no world for us without words. defines what it means to be human better than language. Without words, we could not recognize the world, because we could not describe it. More importantly, we could not make sense of ourselves, of our thoughts and our feelings. regardless of the fact that our bodies often feel more real to us than our minds. We could not feel anything if we were not capable of giving those feelings and thoughts names. Of course, we often feel lost for words. And we feel that many important thoughts and emotions are difficult, if not impossible, to express in language. And while I relate to that feeling, I am also convinced that more often than not, this suspicion about the insufficiency of words does not show up the limits of language as much as it shows up either the limitations of our own vocabulary or our unwillingness to analyze our thoughts and feelings with adequate care and honesty. give you an example. We all have moments of arrogance. Moments in which we feel superior to others because we are convinced that we know something better than them. And then we condescend to them. If you are self-aware enough to wonder why you acted in that way, and I am speaking from personal experience, since unfortunately I am not beyond thinking too highly of myself at times, you might hit on the word supercilious. Supercilious means nothing other than to be arrogant, or conceited but it adds another layer to it because it is a visual word it comes from the combination of the latin words for above super and eyelid cilium to express what happens with the part above our eyelids when we are being supercilious In other words, you raise your brows to make a facial expression we associate with arrogance and cocksure skepticism. Now I understand that this might sound esoteric. Why would knowing the word supercilious in any way help me understand my own arrogance? When I could just tell myself that I am being an arrogant prick and then stop myself in this prickish arrogance. Well, that certainly is one option. But the problem with feelings like arrogance is that we often slide into them and only ever catch ourselves in them when it is too late when the situation has escalated and become obvious enough to everyone, including ourselves. But that is too late. So it is a question of self-awareness. And there are different ways of becoming more self-aware. Meditation, for example might help, or methods developed in cognitive psychology. Mindfulness is another popular one. But another very obvious, but less talked about tool is words. The word supercilious helps me to stay more aware of sliding into arrogance and condescension because I associate it with the face I make when I am being an arrogant prick. For me, arrogance or condescension are mental states. I do not relate to them on a physical level. Superciliousness, in contrast, has a bodily dimension namely my face of which i become more easily aware because well raise your eyebrows you will feel that this is one way in which language can help us make sense of how we feel and how it can direct our attention to these feelings and make them more productive for the evaluation of our own behavior. This is the posh option, the thesaurus option. But you can find words like that in other places and perhaps nowhere more frequently than in memes and popular online forums. In the case of arrogance and superiority, it is the phrase, this ain't it chief. urban dictionary defines its meaning as follows. The phrase refers to something that an individual would deem widely acceptable or cool to show off, but in reality it makes them look like a fucking idiot slash weird. The interesting part of this definition is the certainty of the superiority it expresses. Whoever accepts it also accepts their own ability to both be more knowledgeable and have better taste than whoever they are judging with the phrase. By the time you say this ain't it chief you will already have become oblivious to your own arrogance because you feel perfectly justified in your attitude. In that regard, the phrase does not add to self-awareness. But, in regard to its use in online forums and in memes, that is, in its popularity, it is helpful. To put it differently, like a facial expression, It is more intuitively recognizable than other words or phrases, and so are the feelings and thoughts associated with it. Phrases from memes are usually only successful because they are highly relatable. And relatability is nothing other than a form of self-understanding. It is a moment in which you recognize something inside yourself. And that makes it potentially useful for thinking about your own behavior. Granted, that does not have to happen. And there are enough trolls out there to prove me wrong on this point. There also are enough people who know the word supercilious. And still cannot manage to keep themselves from being arrogant at all times, like myself, for example. But that is not the point. Words alone will not save you from yourself, but they can. Because we only live in words. Without them, We cannot make sense of our experience. And that is why at every beginning there is a word and then countless others follow. sense that we value our voices so much that we elevate speech above almost everything else because without words without voices we would struggle to articulate anything but there is also a problem with that One that is beginning to weigh more heavily on our civilization. Namely that speaking, that having a voice, is not enough. One astounding fact about the history of humanity is that no matter where you live, no matter when, The stories people record are essentially the same. They speak about heroic deeds, about enduring hardship, overcoming adversity, growing up, the joy and pain of love, the comfort and the horror of the endless repetitions of everyday life growing old and the fear of death this list is not complete of course but there is no doubt that most stories belong to certain long-established categories the details change depending on the historical social and cultural context But the outline and message is fairly stable. And that is not a bad thing. There is a simple reason why the same stories are being retold again and again by different people. Because they matter. It is because our problems as people remain Relatively similar that we can often relate to the plights of characters that lived hundreds of years ago Or in a galaxy far away Retelling the same stories again and again and again Would only be a problem if the same people would get to do the telling And while this has been the case for much of the history of humankind, in particular since the invention of print, which made it much easier to control what was being printed and disseminated, the situation has changed drastically with the rise of the Internet. Without the need of a budget, of a publishing deal, Without editorial supervision, without censorship, though that also depends on where you live. Without these restrictions, more people than ever before have been given a voice. Thanks to that, we hear familiar stories with unfamiliar characters in unfamiliar places. Unfamiliar milieus, in unfamiliar dialects or slang. And that is a good thing. But there is also a downside, because this liberation of speech has been more radical than anticipated. We do not just hear new voices. We are starting to hear everyone's voice with access to the Internet. Of course, here it also matters where in the world you live. It has created a strange imbalance. A new problem which, much like the first sentence of the Gospel of John, is intuitively logical but not immediately obvious because the fanfare of the democratization of dialogue, of near universal access to the online world, has drowned out the most obvious problem. With everyone speaking, who is left to listen? We have been so caught up with the idea of giving people voices that we have forgotten to think about how these voices are heard. This is one of the most obvious and yet most difficult facts one has to deal with in our time. Just because someone talks that does not mean that anyone is listening. Even if someone listens, it does not mean that they hear you. This has created the paradoxical situation in which we have access to more opinions and perspectives than ever before in the history of humankind but in which we listen to each other less than ever before. Don't get me wrong, I am not saying that we should go back to only making a limited and more digestible volume of voices available, but that we need to start worrying about how we can go about hearing these newly available voices. This comes down to us, and more specifically to how we use our own voices, because listening itself is a form of speaking, as strange as that might sound. But hear me out, or listen up. The silence of someone who listens is not just a temporary break from speaking – though it is for some people. We all have had conversations with people who think that the time in which they are listening to someone else is an inconvenient but socially necessary interruption – though there are of course also people who do not even accept that convention and will never let anyone finish a sentence. Chances are that at times we have been that person ourselves. The inability to let others finish, to really listen to what they have to say, does not always come from a sense of superiority or arrogance sometimes we are just so excited to speak about a certain subject that we forget ourselves while we are talking about it this is not to say that most of the times people who do not listen are just being arrogant pricks that certainly happens but to draw attention to a sad but inevitable fact about human interaction. Even though a conversation by definition occurs between more than one person, it is incredibly easy to forget that any given conversation is about more than your own participation. It is about what happens when there is someone other than you giving their perspective on a certain topic, otherwise you could just talk to yourself. And as absurd as that sounds, that is exactly what happens in a lot of conversations. We do not have dialogues, but multilateral monologues. Everyone gets a turn, everyone has a voice, but no one listens. As deplorable a state of affairs this might seem, the question why we should listen in the first place is legitimate. Because if the answer was obvious, then people would simply listen. But from researching this topic, from talking to friends about it and from listening to the conversations of strangers in public places and from reading debates online, I do not think that this is what people actually do. The reason it is not obvious is that we think of speaking and listening as separate actions and we have valued speaking much more highly. For good reason. Freedom of speech is essential to democracy. So is freedom of the press. Freedom of listening would be difficult to put in legal language because it does not require anything other than your attention. And you are always free to pay attention. The only way to ensure that people are heard is not to worry about whether they want to listen, but whether they are exposed to certain information. In this sense, The prevention of censorship could also be understood as making sure that voices can be heard. This is all good and well, but it does not solve the problem. Listening requires protection too. Listening needs to be understood as part of your speaking voice. Because a voice is not simply something that carries the sounds you make when you release air through your mouth in a particular way. The silence that follows your speaking is also part of your voice. It also carries sound. Just not the sound you are making, but the sound of others. This silence is what makes other voices discernible. Even though there is something hauntingly beautiful in carefully crafted musical cacophonies, different people speaking at the same time usually are just confusing and enraging. It certainly is not helpful. This leads to the problem which has only one solution, one that is not intuitively logical. In order to make voices heard, in order to bestow meaning on them and to not just give them a presence, we need to speak less and listen more. To listen more, we need to remain silent more often. But, and this is the important part, this silence is one of action, not one of acquiescence or submission. It is not about silencing yourself, and it certainly is not about silencing others. In order to turn silence into the productive force of listening, we need to accept the fact that a great portion of the things we communicate in our daily lives are inconsequential, self-serving, and mostly for our own benefit of having had a chance to express ourselves. And there is nothing wrong with self-expression in itself, but it creates a problem when it begins to drown out meaningful dialogue. Because this is a truth anyone with access to the internet understands. Unlimited self-expression is just noise. And this noise has one decidedly negative effect. It teaches us to value talking more than listening. Which is how we ended up in a world where everyone is telling us about what they are thinking And yet, most people seem to feel deeply misunderstood. Of course, this is problematic to say, because it is not about discouraging people from expressing themselves. But there is no other way to make sense of self-expression than to reduce its volume both in regard to its mass and its loudness. We need to learn not to be offended by this, to not see it as self-censorship, but another way of making self-expression more meaningful. I understand this is difficult and counter-intuitive. I have felt like this for a long time because I have grown up with the idea that it is my inalienable right to speak my mind. And I have done so through my entire life with very little consideration for what this might do to others. It is because I thought it was my right to do so that I did not feel the need to be considerate or even when I was self-aware enough to be considerate, To still harp on my right to say what I had to say, even if I chose milder, less assertive words. After all, human rights should have nothing to do with consideration. They should be universal facts that define how we think about what it means to be human. and self-expression is such a right. But, and here I believe we need to move forward in a new direction, to remain silent more consciously, to allow for dialogue to develop. We need to learn to cherish the right to listen. Because only by exercising this right which allows others to speak with the confidence of being heard, can we regain the privilege of being listened to and to make sure that loud silence will not be the only form of protest left in a world of noise.